0: WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And this week, Matt Laswitz and I are joined by a new friend uh, coming to us from continuitynod.com and uh, X Men Twitter at large. Uh, it's Trent Seeley. Trent, thanks for coming aboard.
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Um, so, I, unfortunately, we kind of
0: have to start the recording on a bit of a uh, a super sad day for comics. Uh, I think before we get into the meat of things, you know, we, we probably need to acknowledge the death of the uh, Merriam-Webster picture definition of comics, uh, Stan Lee. Uh, how, are, how are we all sort of processing today?
2: It's, I mean, Stan was the last of the the golden age creators i mean he is best known for his work in the silver age but his first work was captain america number three i mean this is a guy who'd been working in comics since the 40s and you know it's it's really the the end of an era
1: yeah um I would have to echo the same sentiments. I mean, i I look at all of the books that are on my shelf that I've collected over the years. And I think about uh, how many of those characters were in part created by Stanley. so his his influence is huge, regardless of what your perspective was on the man. I mean, this is uh, the 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 driving force in a lot of ways of a certain era of marvel. And uh, the industry wouldn't be what it is today without him. So it's definitely a huge loss.
0: Absolutely. In, in a year where we've had a number of, of significant losses, I, I mean, you know, I, I, it's probably too soon to roll the Immemorium film, but we lost Ditko this year, Carlos Esquerra, Rich Buckler, Mary Severin. I, I mean, it's just, we're, we're getting to that point where, you know, we're, we're kind of, of losing the Silver Age, uh, you know, as it were.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh.
2: Yeah, I, I,
0: Excelsior, Stan. Yeah, yeah, there we go. But um, you know, Trent, the reason we have you on here is uh, <laughs> you, you recently wrote uh, it is an in-depth history of the state of Marvel around the time of Age of Apocalypse, the nineteen ninety-five X-Men story, uh, which you can read over at, at Trent's site, continuitynod.com. Uh, you, you uh, what kind of what, what inspired you to take on this uh, this project?
1: Wow. Um, So the previous uh, feature that I did was about Secret Wars, the uh, uh, 2015 Secret Wars, not the original Secret Wars that was designed to sell uh, (laughs) Marvel licensed toys to children. Um,
2: (laughs) They sold uh, many to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I kind of got into comics in a big way around the time of Secret Wars, and it's an, uh, it's an event that I think uh, had a lot of influence on the company. So I started reaching out to creators who were involved in it, and I really tried to build a timeline around what happened uh, as far as the books and as far as Marvel and the industry itself uh, all around that time. And the response I got to that was so huge. And I was thinking, well, the next thing I do, I really want it to be focused and I want to pull in as much influence as I can from what we know about the industry, what we know about the direct distribution market, Um, you know, commentary and testimonial from uh, contributors. uh, And I, I just needed to figure out what that was going to be. And, uh, someone read, uh, the secret wars article had reached out and said, you should really do something about age of apocalypse, which seemed like such a huge thing to me because I, I had only read a few, uh, AOA books in passing previously, whatever I was able to get my hands on. Uh, but I decided, um, just because of the confluence of a few things in my life to, um, just buy every single volume I could, <laughs> uh, the entire like six book collected, uh, and, uh, that, that, that includes, uh, the, uh, the war zones, uh, as well as the the 2012 uh, Age of Apocalypse series that spun out of Uncanny X-Force by Remender. Mm -hmm. Um, And I decided to just become an Age of Apocalypse expert. Like, that was what (laughs) I was going to do.
2: You also read the uh, often forgotten, in in many ways rightly, so Akira Yoshida six-issue miniseries?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, the, The legendary great that Akira Yoshida was. Um, the who was that Mass man? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's, uh, pretty involved in Marvel in a pretty big way today. Um, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, that, that was probably the big dip. There was a lot in the Twilight and Dawn books that didn't cover the core event that was so unnecessary to understanding this event. And really when I got into it, I mean, I read the books because I wanted to really understand from start to finish the kind of tapestry they were building because they took all of these different uh comics that were their top sellers and the x-men was the the top of uh all of their lines uh so it was a big gamble to cancel it for what was essentially a four month what if series right Mm -hmm. and they took down every single x book that they had uh x-men uncanny x-men wolverine uh excalibur uh generation x uh, it's just everything they they took it all down there's eight of them in total and they replaced it with a separate but equal uh counterpoint that existed within the age of apocalypse universe and they really do the universe itself a great justice in terms of different perspectives you have uh People who are heroes, people who are villains, um, people at the bottom of society, at the very top of society. It really paints a cosmic picture as well, um, just because it was that ambitious. And uh, everything that came after it, you really don't have to read.
0: (laughs)
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I I just kind of went on uh, a huge tear about it. (laughs) No, no,
2: no. That's what you're here for. And you are talking to two guys who... Are pretty big AOA heads ourselves. So
0: fantastic. Although I didn't, I have never read the Kiryashina series. So.
1: Uh, <laughs> you haven't.
2: No, yeah. I've never been. <laughs> I, I, I read that working at the comic shop. It is not in my collection.
1: Yes, it's it's something that I don't think really changes the status quo of what is otherwise a really overly complicated universe <laughs> 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 where everyone has face tattoos and claws. <laughs> um
0: what was what was the most surprising thing you learned in researching uh, the story?
1: Well, um after I got a real handle of the books and I spent a lot a lot of time reading, um I started talking to a few of the creators who were involved uh, and that helped kind of point me in the direction of ways that I could kind of get across what the story is behind uh, the age of apocalypse so uh i reached out to larry hama and he was very gracious and answering some very uh prodding and specific questions (laughs) uh and he was giving the perspective of someone who was just kind of get in get out this is just a job for me um and he did like wonderful work on uh weapon x which was the parallel to wolverine during aoa but at the same time uh you know, he was looking at this as another event, whereas when I was speaking to Fabian Nicieza, this represented like a like a very pivotal point in his professional career, uh, and he would describe it as like a very frustrating point in his career too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it takes place right before his exit from uh, X Force and his eventual departure from Marvel. Uh, so there's a lot going on behind the scenes and I think his focus as he would tell you was very much on new warriors and the crossovers that were happening there uh, but he still contributed to uh, I think it was four or five of the ongoing books um, I chose uh, not to reach out to a few creators just because I, I knew that I didn't necessarily want their perspectives. <laughs> I, I wasn't really interested in in, in uh, speaking to them directly, but I did reference a few other uh, websites that did interviews with people mm-hmm. because I really wanted the full context of the background, um, like from an industry perspective, because I I wanted to see how things were within Marvel uh, and kind of what they were reacting to in the Marvel in, in the in the market itself. And what I found, uh, which really was the most surprising thing, was um, it really kicks the, the end of Age of Apocalypse, uh, as far as time wise, uh, kind of is around the time that Marvel started to implode because of like their their last and greatest bad decision of the 90s, uh, which was buying a a distribution house when they had already made a whole bunch of other really ill-advised acquisitions in markets that were kind of in a downward slope. Um, And the crunch on the business put a crunch in the creators. Uh, So they, they told me their story and I set out to kind of build the context of, well, what was happening in the market and how were things changing? And it was such a crazy time between the image boys leaving um, and Marvel acquiring, you know, trading card companies and distribution companies and uh, uh, other publishers that they, they would then shutter for no good reason. Like just seeing the the cascade of decisions, and then hearing from certain creators that it was just this one individual <laughs> <laughs> that was really driving all of this change. Uh, and I think what. I really wanted to get across in the article was that although I love age of apocalypse as a creative thing, I think it's an amazing story I, I would say it's one of the best things that has ever happened to the X-Men line um, I think at that time it it really reflected how one person in Marvel uh, Marvel the publisher uh, could just cripple everything uh, and that ended up being Ron Perelman. <laughs> so I, I hate to be the guy who points the finger and says this guy did everything this guy destroyed an industry but um it is it is my firm conclusion based on uh the the research i've done that this one man really did a number on marvel in the 90s yeah,
2: you won't be the first and you won't be the last i think
0: yeah <laughs> um Another another good resource, especially on the distribution side of things, uh, I don't know, Matt, I know you have, but uh, if you've ever read uh, Dan Garino's Comic Shop, which is basically just the history of comics retail, uh, mm-hmm. I think that goes into a lot of the whole, you know, Marvel trying to take its distribution in-house thing. But I mean, you know, looking at the flowchart in your story, it's it's amazing how many sort of, you know, pies Parliament put fingers in at that time. So, you know... Looking, looking behind each apocalypse, and being able to see, you know, Marvel's distribution fights, and being able to see, you know, the, the the trading cards, and being able to see, giving, you know, the whole Malibu Comics, let's give Prime the Phoenix Force thing.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> it's all sort of
0: of linked, um, but you know. Uh, Fabian Isieza, uh kind of getting back to him for a second uh, yeah. you know Matt and I having sort of the benefit of, of living between Philadelphia and New York you know we're we're on that 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 con circuit right with Fabius Fabian so we've gotten to talk to him at, at, at a few shows over the last couple of years and it's just it's amazing how forthcoming he is about his time at Marvel uh, you know during that period you know I, I think just kind of standing there in line for five, ten minutes, you know, you go up there to get to like some Deadpool signed, and you walk away with like the history of NFL super pro and yeah. uh, Adam X, the extreme
2: <laughs> in, in discussions of strife strife's possible day jobs as an accountant. <laughs>
0: That's
1: right. That happened. Yes. (laughs) I I think the the best thing about Fabian is that he is in many respects like a historian of that era. He lived it. He remembers just how successful comics were um, in that time frame. He remembers exactly how the business was being run because he came from an advertising background, right? And he he took that and he moved into this creative writing work, but I don't think he ever lost sight of how things were on the publishing side. Um, And in that respect, I mean, I I think it's pretty common in this industry to hear about artists and, and writers being uh, manipulated or, or screwed over by larger entities, in part just because their lack of business acumen. Mm-hmm. I think Fabian's one of the few guys who you know <laughs> decided to draw a line in the sand to his employer, <laughs> and uh, I have a lot of respect for him for that.
0: You know, and 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 the fact that he can do this, and he's still working for Marvel. He's not like some ex employee with an axe to grind. You know, like he right. just wrote part of the Domino annual two months ago. So you know, more power to him. Um, you know, one of, one of the things this story made me realize, kind of again going back to that chart of Marvel's holdings. Man, I miss trading cards. Like <laughs> I, I actually, miss. We, yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah.
1: You know, I I actually just got a uh, hundred pack of nineteen ninety two trading cards. Uh, which ironically weren't produced by either of the trading card companies, Marvel Acquired. Uh, But it's so weird just looking through those cards because the art is so beautiful and the information is often wrong.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maverick has a superpower that he never demonstrates in the comics.
1: Wow. Isn't, isn't that where uh the the punch dimension came from for cyclops like it, it was firmly established in the comics that his his concussive blasts are powered by the sun right yeah. but I, I i remember somewhere someone was telling me that they actually come from a punch dimension i uh,
0: i have little doubt I, i've 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 heard the yeah that i've heard the alternate deme- you know dimension theory but i've never i, I don't I can't recall it being called a punch dimension, but I, I kind of like that. It's just <laughs> a, it's just a like... dimension where people are constantly punching each other, and everything is red. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, so, d- so yeah, uh, you,
1: you miss trading cards.
0: Yeah, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> but like just kind of blowing disposable singles in my wallet on like Marvel Universe Series Three or like Fleer Ultra painted Joe Jusco cards or whatever. Like I would just buy I was buying like FLIR NBA trading cards in nineteen ninety two. I was not like huge into basketball. I don't know if that was like USA dream team fever or, or whatever, but
1: I think it was it's just a part of the the children's culture, right? Like if all the kids in the playground are collecting these things, you're probably gonna start collecting these things when you see them at the dollar store or wh- wherever mm-hmm. you see them, right? Yeah. yeah. Not the dollar store today. No. No. <laughs> yeah. no,
2: I, I think it's funny that I mean, I started reading X Men around that X Men number one time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Nightcrawler and Shadow Cat weren't characters that were on the team. They were, and Excalibur was this weird little book that didn't have newsstand distribution. So I wasn't reading it, but I knew those characters as X characters because they had trading cards.
1: Mm hmm.
0: They were they were very educational it's how, it's how you knew the uh, you know everybody had like power and energy levels that were assigned a number uh, yeah. you, know, you knew Aunt May
1: was a level one
0: energy caster <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but it was also a time before Wikipedia, right so if if you wanted to understand the universe and how people played into it like this was your rubric this was your Rosetta stone, right Absolutely
2: definitely and i always thought it was funny that dc could do these sets of trading cards and they never had batman characters in them because the dc universe cards came out from fleer and tops had the batman trading card rights because of the movies so you couldn't do have batman or any of his affiliated characters in those cards, which I didn't know at the time and was just very confused.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy how much uh, business decisions, especially licensing decisions, impacts creative work. Uh, and I actually kind of touched on that in the Age of Apocalypse piece, just because uh, in explaining the many acquisitions that took place, uh, one of them uh, that came from Toy Biz was a, a man named Avi Arad, mm-hmm. Um, who you may be aware of for just a number of things. Like he's uh, pretty prolific today as a producer for a wide variety of, of content. Uh, Obviously he was one of the driving forces behind Fox kids and uh, what was then called Marvel studios, but is not the Marvel studios that we know today Uh, for X-Men, the animated series. um, Obviously the X shows that followed many of the Marvel shows that followed uh, the X-Men uh, Fox films he produced. Uh, my my child's favorite show is Super Monsters on Netflix, which apparently was not just produced by him, but was like creatively developed by him. Uh, mm-hmm. And he is the guy responsible for that agreement that had all of those mutant rights given to Fox. And what, what people don't realize is that that not only prohibits Marvel from using any of those mutant characters and any of their visual properties, but also their merchandising properties are cut in half. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how, um, like you'll get games like Marvel versus Capcom infinite, and there won't be any X-Men characters in it. Uh, even though Wolverine has been in all of the Marvel versus Capcom games, right?
0: Yeah. The last, uh, Lego Marvel game that came out had exactly zero mutants. Yeah. It was, it was like, uh, it it was like reading Marvel like three years ago where they, you know, it was trying to make the Inhumans happen. Right. Oh man. Um, having, having reread, uh, Age of Apocalypse, uh, which, which series do you, do you feel like held up the best?
1: Um, well, I wouldn't say x Men. I would say x Men is probably my least favorite of the series.
0: (laughs) I got sour news for you come January. (laughs) (laughs)
1: no but that's interesting i i i we'll get there but uh (laughs) i i think i really liked uh the creative approach behind generation next uh just the the mix between uh the art style uh and the the type of dialogue that that team had i thought was really interesting but also to have uh, kitty and piotr their aoa counterparts as uh team members to that team i thought was really interesting too um i don't know i feel like the best team because each of these books really holds up one singular team as far as i was concerned was like gambit and the externals (laughs) (laughs) um which i know is kind of a weird choice because i i think astonishing x-men or even amazing x-men would probably be people's top choice just because of how much is going on with uh magneto and uh the the central plot of the Age of Apocalypse story, but just the fact that Gambit and his X-Force, which was essentially the book that it was, was going into Shiar space to deal with um the crystal, the, the Macron crystal, uh which in this reality, because there was no Professor Xavier, that means that, you know, when mad emperor De ken chose to go after the crystal he was successful and he messed around with the crystal and gene was there gene wasn't there to to fix anything so in this universe the crystal is going crazy uh and because it's the nexus of realities that's leading to a whole bunch of stuff and uh gambit the thief is in the mix of everything as well it's great
2: (laughs) i'm curious dan from your which one do you remember is your favorite
1: Oh boy! Um, yeah,
0: you know, I was just thinking about this. Uh, the man, that's tough. But my gut instinct is to say factor X.
1: You factor and me F- both.
0: X. And yeah. I, and, I, and I think it's just because you know, nineteen ninety five. Me, love me. That Summers Bloodline.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, I love the Summers Bloodline. I love the weird, creepy decadence that you get from that. Upper tier angel and his, you know, club and the weird sadism of the Guthrie kids and Rain as the Dark Beast's pet and the Dark Beast and Sinister still as glam as ever.
1: Yes, I the, I think the biggest issue of that book is that there isn't nearly enough Sinister. Which I would say is my greatest uh, complaint about the entire Age of Apocalypse storyline. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of pieces out, and I obviously he he has a character uh, that isn't really sinister, but is sinister uh, throughout X man But um, Factor X, I thought was the the best book, and I always like seeing Scott intermingle with Mister Sinister, so I wanted more of that.
0: Um yeah. were you were you reading comics at that point when the story originally came out?
1: No, I was well I I was born in 89. So when the story originally came out, I I was like six years old and I was reading Archie's Double Digest. So, <laughs> but um, I've been watching the X Men show since I was like four years old. Uh, I I wrote for uh, Xavier Files Zine about uh, the X Men shave set that I got one Christmas from my dad <laughs> and how important that was, how critical it was to my childhood. So X Men has always been in my life, but um, I didn't start seriously reading x-men like on a on a weekly basis until around secret wars and then it was just a matter of filling in those continuity gaps
2: did did you as someone who started with that cartoon did you watch uh wolverine and the x-men that most recent and as far (laughs) as we know final x-men animated series that ended on the most painful cliffhanger in the universe
1: yes i have it on blu-ray uh nope. I have painstakingly <laughs> tracked down every piece of uh X-Men media that I can uh and I I like the series a lot. I think the, the thing that's really tragic is that the second season was apparently supposed to be about age of apocalypse yeah. and I would have watched the hell out of that.
2: <laughs> oh yeah
1: I I guess my my only complaint about Wolverine and the X-Men as a, as a show about the X-Men is that, Uh, almost every episode or every three episodes is so character specific that you really don't get to see many of the characters change over time. Mm. Yeah. At least not in the serialized way that you could with uh, X-Men evolution. Yeah.
0: sense. Um, one of the things you read in, in, in researching this story was, uh, re- yeah, your piece was uh, Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe. It's probably yeah. one of my favorite books that I've read in the last five years in terms of nonfiction. Uh, you know, if for no other reason than showing how kind of truly and painfully awkward it, it really got to be between uh, Stan and Jack over the years. But you know, but like, do you have any kind of favorite insights or, or, or moments from that book?
1: I think the, the book in general is something that anyone who considers themselves to be a, a real comics aficionado or a, a dedicated reader should do themselves the favor of reading because you don't really understand how the nature of the industry itself has evolved until you see where things were, you know, at that point in time, both in terms of like how successful the industry was, but also like the kind of working practices at marvel and how how this uh plucky company that was run pretty poorly became pretty successful only to be destroyed by one man <laughs> yeah. there go. Uh, it's it, it is a great book though and uh i i think there's a few different versions available too there there might be uh an audiobook as well
0: uh, so moving on, we've got, we've got a big old X book coming out this Wednesday. Uh, you know, Uncanny is back. New number one, three writers, many artists. <laughs> uh, how, how are we, how, how are we kind of feeling going into this, this new volume? You know, what are, what are our kind of hopes, fears, and dreams?
2: For me, it's felt like for, since, since Secret Wars, Mm-hmm. The X books have been all over the place, and I mean, I, I I'm looking forward to I to there now being one book and one sort of main plot and getting everyone back on the the same sort of bandwagon. I mean, there's nothing wrong with different teams with different. Agendas. I mean, I I know that that's gonna happen eventually, and that's great. But I think coming out of say the the classic X-Men number one reboot what, classic might not be the right word, depending on who you ask, but still, there was sort of an agenda. There was okay, we're resetting things to this point, and it's sort of that initial point I feel like has kind of been missing for a while. So I like that we're getting real groundwork here for everything moving forward, at least I kind of hope.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think certainly the resurrection era has been quite focused at uh, resetting a number of characters or returning certain characters back to the the chessboard. Uh, Jean Grey, obviously a good example of that. Uh, Jamie Madrox, uh, whichever Madrox this is, actually, uh, <laughs> is back on the table. It's Key West Madrox. So many people, uh, <laughs> they, they have teased the Schrodinger's box of Cyclops uh, oh. <laughs> with the upcoming annual. Um, I, it, it does seem like the past year and a half has been really focused on bringing things to a better status quo because to your point coming out of secret wars we had a book that was a road trip with all new x-men we had this uh dark uncanny x-men was which was written by cullen bunn uh led by magneto which was essentially an x-force book uh and then you had um extraordinary x-men which was kind of like the the main um book and i think they were so uh torn with the Tarragon mists uh, and things had just become, you know, extinction event after extinction event after extinction event, you know, hero dying after hero dying after hero dying. I think we we hit a rock bottom and we're finally building our way back up. Uh, and that's not me saying that there weren't really good stories and good books in that time frame, but um, I was optimistic with resurrection and I feel, coming into the new uncanny a lot of confidence uh, because these are three creators that I've been following their work and I've really enjoyed their work. And I think they understand these characters and what X-Men is about. So I'm really excited for the next 10 issues, but certainly the number one that's coming out on Wednesday.
0: it, it is. It's It's funny heading into this new book and, and seeing who is who's kind of been put in charge as like the architects of the line. You know, we've got Kelly Thompson, Matt Rosenberg, Ed Brisson, all putting their heads together for this book. Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember when Resurrection started, just kind of I think the bar expectations had kind of been set so low. And, and, and you know, just personally, I was not a fan of the post-Secret Wars You know, constantly fighting the inhumans, Mpox stuff. Um, You know, it seemed a little, you know, a little bit too like post M day on one hand, a little bit too much like the legacy virus on the other hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and so Resurrection was a breath, you know, was a breath of fresh air, but I still think it wasn't like, it was still missing something and I think it took took us getting to this year to really see what that was because if you read like a rogan gambit or a multiple man or you know that that x-men gold uh, annual where we all discovered Leah Williams in it you know I think that the people who are being put in place now are people who kind of they get the x-men and so to have right. them all working together is just you know, it's, you know, it's mind blowing. I, I can you know, I, I don't, I'm not really sure how, you know, how else to describe it, but you know, credit, credit to Jordan White for kind of putting all these pieces into place or, or, you know, I guess taking the pieces and, and running with them when he, uh, you know, was, was given the, uh, the X line.
1: Yeah. I, I'm excited because uh, one of my favorite eras of X-Men, uh, which I think it's overlooked a lot is the, schism era where you have wolverine and the x-men and you also have uh gillen's uncanny x-men and jordan d white was one of the line editors that supported that that series back then um so this is really a homecoming but my understanding is the stuff that we're starting to see now uh going into age of x-men uh, sorry, X-Man uh, in the new year. Uh, this is all stuff that was created and mapped out in part by Jordan. So I think he had done a lot of editing work on stuff all the way up until X-Men Black. But this is really, I think, I, a different era for the X office as well as the X line. So it's an exciting time because uh, the creators are all excellent, if you would ask me. Um, and I, I feel like these characters are in the hands of people that, you know, understands them and wants to see them flourish.
0: Um, you, you did mention, so, Uncanny, 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. It takes us into January. And then we're getting something, and, and obviously, you know, at this point, all we have to go on are solicits, but we're we're getting something called the Age of X-Man. Um, how do we feel about X-Man, period, in the year of our Lord 2018? Because, you know, it's not... <laughs> It's, it's not like somebody who's always been there. It's not like a cable or Wolverine, you know, he's just kind of, you know, he has these like periods where he just kind of pops in and out of uh, obscurity.
1: Well, and there probably would be some people listening who may not even know who the character of X-Men is um, it, it, just for people's context. I mean, it's Nathan or sorry, Nate Gray in this context, which is the age of apocalypse version of cable uh, and where he doesn't have the techno-organic virus, he doesn't have to use his telekinesis to keep the, the virus at bay. So he has these omega-level uh, telepathic and um, telekinetic abilities. He's a psychic uh, on or above the level of Jean Grey? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think the challenge is, it certainly was a challenge during the Age of Apocalypse, when you're writing a book around a character who has all of these amazing powers and, you know, it has nebulous origins. Um, how do you make that interesting? How do you make his attitude? Because if they're perfect, then how do they grow? And I think a lot of the X-Men series that came out of age of apocalypse was not good. And I think a lot of people (laughs) have, have talked about how not good it was.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, it, it i've been kind of vaguely fo- following a little bit uh zach jenkins reread of it and he gets to it got to a point somewhere between I, i'm pretty sure i dropped that book around like issue 25 or something like that because all of a sudden it just Gets to these plot points that, like, I don't remember anything having happened, and I do remember buying almost everything with an X on it. But there's definitely a big gap between, like, what I remember about that book, which the last thing I remember is that the weird, incesty Madeline pride, ghost of Madeline Pryor stuff, oh, and, yeah. and then Counter X when he just becomes, starts wearing a, a, a fishnet shirt or no shirt at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, And they, they seem like they're leaning into the mutant Jesus thing that they started around there, which is such a Warren Ellis sort of springboard for a thing. And I mean, now that he's got the, the hair and the beard and the whole nine yards. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah,
0: I that's the thing, though. Uh, so Warren Ellis the X-Men was more of I think it was a you know, mutant sh- shaman.
2: Yeah not yeah, so much yeah.
0: messiah like this is nate gray looking like full-on american jesus
1: right uh, and i'm kind of curious as to like how this universe even comes about um we've seen some promotional images and uh, nate certainly does look like jesus uh and the x-men that are around him if they are x-men um look very ornate but it almost has like um like a scandinavian vibe or like a norse vibe are you guys getting that too or is it just me
2: i hadn't thought about it
1: but it's just it seems like um this obviously is going to be an allusion to age of apocalypse and and you know maybe this is a splinter timeline where you know nate is the mutant messiah responsible for killing Apocalypse, whatever, however they tie him into this. But um, I think I saw a variant cover of an upcoming issue that had um, like an action figure of this universe's version of Magneto. And he was a horseman. So we have very few details about what age of X-Man is, but I'm very excited. And I think even though I, I really don't like the character X-Man, I I really want to see 2019 (laughs) X-Man.
2: Yeah, he's just, he always existed so much in Cable's shadow Mm -hmm. that Cable is literally X-Man done right. And it's just kind of like, okay, what can we do to make him not like Cable versus make him his own interesting character?
0: And it and it also it, it, in some ways it took killing Cable to bring him back to the fore. Oh
1: wow! Too soon. <laughs> There's we still have young Cable. Yes, apparently. Kid, Kid Cable, the who looped himself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. He.
2: Oh wow! Good call. To
1: to that point, uh, do you guys think it's kind of weird that uh, the final issue of Extinction has been delayed into December, but uh, we're already kind of going right into Uncanny?
0: You know, on its face, it's it's annoying, but this is not outside the realm of Marvel. I mean, the same thing happened with Secret Wars and with uh, Civil War 2, where the books that spun out of it were starting, you know, before the you know the series or the event proper had ended.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see if Uncanny Number One either completely spoils the end of extermination or if extermination winds up being so tangential to what is going to be happening in uncanny
1: mm-hmm. that we
2: still don't have an answer until that issue comes out.
1: Well, I I'm almost guaranteeing that next or this Wednesday, we're going to get a book that, you know, makes no allusion to the O5 whatsoever. And then when the book, for extinction does come out in december it says this issue takes place before uncanny number one maybe that's just the pessimist in me
0: <laughs> no i think that's i think that's realistic i mean if you look at all the you know if you look at all the art that we've seen we knew we knew that the oh five were going to be gone anyway because of that giant david marquez uh you know uh cover with all the all the x-men
1: yeah you know it did not uh, include them right yeah. Uh, but I think they've also been planting the seeds of a departure for a while now. And certainly that's what the end of X-Men Blue was pointing towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not again. Do, do we want to get into how we feel about the O5? <laughs> I, I, you know, I could take the, the thing is, OK, so there there's there's a
0: big kind of gap in my X-Men reading. So you know, I wasn't really there when the O five showed up. I don't have any sort of endearing feelings toward them. And I, I, I definitely see the necessity of getting rid of them to usher in, you know, the, I guess the age of X-Man, but you know, this, this, (laughs) the
1: new era. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I did read through that era and I mean, I think there were some really cool stories And I mean, I I enjoyed Dennis Hopeless's road trip book, but that was it was at that point that I was like, okay, I think the this version of these characters kind of saw their beginning, middle and end. And now we're sort of like, well, we don't have much to do with the you know 616 versions of these most of these characters so let's keep them around and keep doing stuff with them with these versions it,
1: it it's so aggravating because i think to to your point um battle of the atom it the not the podcast in this case like the the book <laughs> the event uh, yeah <laughs> ba- battle of the battle of the atom really does end as like a great chapter almost with the exception of them being like we're not going home but like I feel like them being in the present and like rubbing shoulders with their older counterparts or in the case of Warren with, um, you know, a husk of himself or in the case of Scott with, uh, a grave. Um, (laughs) it's, it's been kind of interesting from a storytelling perspective, but I think we're at the point now where everyone's looking around like, okay, well, what are they going to do next? Right. (laughs) you know gene gene gray got taken over by the phoenix for all of the hot second in her her resurrection solo series um and Scott's solo came to an end and i i I didn't really see his relationship with bloodstorm going anywhere so i'm just i'm looking at these characters and certainly bobby and warren don't have much going on either and i'm thinking you know when are you going home and now they're going home yeah uh you know
0: what one character you know It's interesting in in this grand, you know, reset, you know, grand reset, who's not even bothering to come back to the fold is, you know, Wolverine theoretically has returned, but he's just off doing his own thing. And apparently uh, today uh, they announced what comes after Return of Wolverine. It's not it's not X-Men stuff. He's going on an Infinity Gems journey with Loki.
1: Well, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but
0: you don't understand there was teaser art of an infinity gauntlet with oh, claws.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of feeling frustrated because, um, and, and no disrespect to Charles soul, but, um, I do not really love the Wolverine who has come back. And I didn't really love the standalone Wolverine that was there before he died. Like, the last time I was like, yeah, I love this character, Logan, was when he was, like, in a relationship with Storm, and he was the headmaster of a school, and, you know, like, being a a mass-murdering killer was kind of a side gig for him at that point, right? Mm -hmm. So, I just feel like, why are you bringing this character back if we're just gonna kind of go do the same shtick that he's been doing for decades, right? Like... What is hot claws like? Is is it all for the hot claws? (laughs) (laughs) I
2: mean, especially when people loved Laura as all new
1: Wolverine. Oh, and that title too. It was such a such a good book. Yeah, (sighs) I
2: mean, I I, I, I'm I'm kind of glad to hear someone else say it because as someone who you know, was never a big Wolverine person. I was always kind of like, is this just my personal bias showing that I don't particularly care?
1: Right. I think the the tone of uh, the the return for Wolverine or even the hunt for Wolverine books, um, it hasn't been X-Men. And I I wouldn't say it was, you know, distinctly Wolverine, you know, pre his death either. But it, it feels... It it does feel kind of like that, you know. Um, I this three stories are dedicated to me stabbing a bunch of guys. Like that's the structure we're going with, right? Um, and I really don't like the chef's outfit that they've put him in for for this <laughs> resurrection either. I I don't know why he's rocking it, but I I don't like it.
0: Oh man, it's just it's it's fascinating that like this this character who used to be you know everywhere it feels like the x-men fandom is kind of of outgrown and i don't know if it's because you know there's already an abundance of you know rule of cool type characters in the books that we just you know
1: don't but wolverine is the ultimate rule of cool character isn't he oh yeah in every piece of media, like the, even the last animated show was called Wolverine and the X-Men.
2: <laughs> Wolverine is like Poochie. When Wolverine's not on screen, people should be going, where's Wolverine?
1: Oh, that's it's probably my like biggest issue with the films as well. And I, I think Hugh Jackman is an excellent actor and I really respect how seriously he took the character, but that's not my Wolverine. <laughs> That's not my X-Men either.
0: I, I would argue Nate Gray is poochy, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, we've, we've got a few minutes left here before we have to wrap up. Uh, Trent, I wanted to hit you with uh, a completely uh, unrelated funsies question. Um, you are a noted Final Fantasy enthusiast, as am I. What is your favorite game in the series?
1: Oh, without question, Final Fantasy Sex correct answer ding 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah without question um i it, it has a lot of uh importance to me personally because it was the first game that i played as a kid uh, my brother had a super nintendo and we would play um final fantasy 6 which was then called final fantasy 3 mm-hmm. secret of mana and chrono trigger and that was what was my bread and butter as a 90s gamer kid uh and that that game has always stuck with me but even going back and playing every other entry in this series because as you mentioned i i am like weirdly obsessed with final fantasy as well um i think it really does hold up as the best from like a story storytelling perspective a character development perspective like the gameplay is solid and addictive um You should play it if you haven't.
0: (laughs) I I probably replay that like once a year. I have like the Game Boy Advance version just because it holds up so well.
1: But the audio is so tinny on that version. (laughs) Oh, sure.
0: Oh, sure. But it's easy to just sort of play. You know, you know, I can just kind of sleepwalk through it as I'm as I'm, uh, you know, nodding off in bed or something like that just because I've done it so many times.
1: But... Oh, that yeah, it's the sole reason why I have a super NES classic now, because I, I heard that they were using the exact emulation that was, uh, uh, the super Nintendo cartridge. So I was like, that's the place to be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, which, which your do you have like your go-to four party? Like you're starting out against Capco. who Like who, who do you, who are your powerhouses at that point?
1: Oh, wow. Um. That's a great question. Uh, well, I would say Locke, just because he's probably my favorite character. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Sabin, I just like having in my party. Uh, it, he's a great physical character, and uh, I love all of the Blitz attacks. Um, oh, God. Um, Setzer and oh. uh Terra. And I, I mean, like you're talking about the final final conflict, right? Yeah. like um dancing mads playing in the background, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's my team. That's that's those are the guys I'm taking. Yeah, that is fantastic. Um so i I usually,
0: yeah, by the time I hit the end, Sabin and Celus are probably my powerhouses in terms of like physical attacks and magic, but I only ever used the first Blitz because that was the only one I could figure out how to work on my on, on my D uh, pad. Oh, D-pad. No.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, that's sad. <laughs> um, Edgar, Edgar, yeah, yep, the tools yep. are great. Tools yeah. are great,
0: and then yeah. Gao with the yeah. uh, cat scratch really? attack. Yes, I would.
1: Gao Gao next to Gogo would be my last choice. <laughs> really? No, well, you get Gao so, with the cat so scratch random. attack. That's like
0: quadruple nines, like every time.
1: Well, you have to fight the right monster to get that attack, though, right?
0: Yeah, but it's like it's like a dumb cat you can get in your first time through the belt.
1: <laughs> Great.
0: <laughs> well, I missed that then. <laughs>
1: Surprisingly effective.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, as we're, as we're wrapping up, Trent, uh, how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so my Twitter is InstaTrent, so at InstaTrent, um, and you can find me pretty directly there. DMs are open. I love to talk to people as long as you have a a positive attitude about stuff. Uh, in terms of like my own personal work, you can find, uh, my updated portfolio at cont continuity Uh, so spell it like it sounds continuity <laughs> nod. <laughs> uh, and I have a bunch of other work in a bunch of other different places. Uh, so if you just hit up my Twitter feed, you'll, you'll see what I've written, uh, lately. <laughs> All right.
0: Trent, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and talking X-Men with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to wmq and on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at wmqcomics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support wmq and wmqcomics.com at patreon.com slash wmqcomics. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out wmqcomics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WNQA
2: The world of comics podcasts is unpredictable.
0: Yeah, like is the episode going up at 9 a.m. Eastern or Pacific?
2: When you least expect it.
1: Or are they going to skip a week again? Everything changes.
0: I mean, I do love a good bonus episode.
2: They are coming.
0: Oh, oh, is it a guest?
2: Acts of Friendship, the comics podcast crossover.
0: Oh, I see what they did there. Coming November 2018. Wait, what are you
2: doing here?